Remember the Thai cave rescue? What about the mission depicted in Black Hawk Down or the epic rescue shown in Captain Phillips? You've probably heard of all of these, but did you know that U.S. Air Force Special Warfare played a pivotal role in all of them? These airmen are the most highly trained warriors on the planet. Other forces like the SEALs and Army Rangers call on them to provide skills no one else can. Not many people make the cut, but if you think you can, visit AirForce.com to learn more. This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. This is Dave LaGreca. On today's episode, WWE Hall of Famer and TNA Hall of Famer Bully Ray and I talk all about the biggest episode of Impact Wrestling from last night. Kenny Omega, Don Callis show up. What did they say? And did the nation like it? We talk about that on the podcast today. Also, we talk MLW wrestling with low key right here on the Busted Open Podcast. Last night was a very big night for Impact Wrestling. Trending number one worldwide. And Dave, I don't know if you know this. That's very important to uh to impact like when the wwe trends worldwide for a for a show it's kind of expected for impact it's a much much bigger deal they they they're not so much uh they don't so much go by the ratings the ratings are important to them but on access it's kind of a little odd they go by that trend and they were trending number one so tna i'm sorry impact wrestling <laughs> has to look at that like a a major major victory but looking at the show um from beginning to end as a whole not just the kenny stuff today we're going to talk about whether or not tna was able to hit a reset button take a step forward did they get some new fans some new followers and before we go any farther i just want to say this Uh, we always ask impact fans to call in we Mm -hmm. have given them chance after chance after chance would you agree with that yeah, um, on multiple times we've asked for the nation and their fans to call in on a Wednesday. Yes. And how many times do we actually get Impact fans calling in? Not many, but I will say this. I, I think today is going to be different, Bully. Um, I, I feel like, you know, a turning of a page when it comes to Impact Wrestling. Because you said the reset button. Something that I mentioned on the show yesterday is I feel like Impact Wrestling's like pro wrestling's best kept secret. It's consistently, especially over the last two years, a good to very good show. Very rarely does it disappoint. And I just feel like last night was a good way for them to be in the spotlight. And Bully, what you said is 100% true. It was trending number one last night. And how significant is that? Well, there was an NFL game on up against Impact Wrestling last night. Not just an NFL game. You had the Cowboys on. Yeah, Cowboys against even, the Ravens. Which, Even though the Cowboys sucked this year, it's still the Cowboys. Yes, and, and not only was Impact trending number one at one point, uh, Kenny Omega was trending, Tony Khan was trending. That's a big deal, not just for Impact, but for AEW as well. So we've talked a lot about leading into last night. How does this benefit? You know, how is this going to benefit AEW? I think it already has benefited AEW just based on what we saw last night, Bully. 
Well, I, I want to stay away from, at least at the very least, my opinion. I don't want my opinion on the show uh, last night to sway any of the fan base. I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to come out here and say I loved it or I hated it, and then people call in and go, "Yeah, bully, I agree with you. It was great," or "Oh, it sucked." I really, really want to give Impact fans a, a, another chance this morning to bombard our phone lines. They're open. We are ready for you. Gabby is, she's got nine phones in her hands ready to go. Like, call in and talk to us about what you thought about the show. And, and your opinion is your opinion, but I just want to stay away from mine until I hear what people thought. I saw a lot of mixed reviews last night. I put up a poll, mm-hmm. and it was 60-40, thumbs up. So, yeah, a victory for Impact, not an overwhelming victory. So I really like to hear the voices of the uh, of, of the fan base, and I think this is a perfect time for Impact fans to, to scream at the top of their lungs whether or not they're on board or not on board after last night. And also, I'd like to hear some from fans to Bully that may have tuned in for the first time and what they thought of the show tuning in for the first time. Tommy Dreamer actually tweeted that I finally beat a Raven. So congratulations to Tommy Dreamer uh, to be able to do that last night because that is very, very significant. And I personally, and Bully, you know this, and you know what? Like At times, not just you, but I do it as well. When we talk about impact, I'll accidentally slip in TNA because it's just natural to me. You know, I I think in a lot of ways, impact has tried to separate themselves from TNA. But recently, I think they're kind of like embracing that history and they should. You know, TNA is a big part of what we see in 2020 with impact wrestling. Case in point, Bully, I didn't watch on Access TV Last night, I watched on Twitch. Now, usually, they have Melissa Santos talking to the audience during the commercial during the commercial breaks, reading some chats that were in the chat window. Thank goodness she didn't was didn't do it because honestly, she wasn't been able to do it because there was so much chatter in those windows last night. You couldn't keep up. Like you could not keep up with all the comments that were going on during that show. What they did instead is they posted during all the commercial breaks, greatest moments in the history of impact. So a lot of that is going back to 2008, 2009, 2010, 2013 with TNA. You were, you were there, you know, your, your match with Jeff Hardy at, at, at lockdown in San Antonio, uh, AJ Styles winning the impact or the TNA championship for the first time, Gail Kim winning the knockouts championship from awesome Kong. Great memories, great memories for me, because bully, you know, I first met you when you were with TNA. And when we first started this show, I was a diehard, uh, TNA fan and seeing the reactions of the fans, you kind of forgot what kind of reactions you got from a TNA audience to the point last night, bully. I got a lot of people on Twitter asking me like that. I never watched TNA before. These moments are incredible. The reaction from the crowd are incredible. What happened to TNA? And I, I think maybe later on in the show, we can dive into that a little bit too, because it, the, the body of work of TNA should not be forgotten. And earlier on, you said that TNA and Impact Wrestling was pro wrestling's best kept secret. Mm 
Yes. And seeing those highlights from last night reminded you of why you loved TNA so much. Um, I believe that Impact Wrestling, I don't think they've tried to distance themselves from the entire history of TNA. I think they try to separate themselves from the last two years of TNA. Because the final two years of TNA, uh, and, and it could be a year and a half, it could be two and a half years, right around that time was not good for the company. There was a lot of negativity um, backstage with management. There was some real lackluster performances in the ring. Lots of stuff didn't make sense. Since the new regime has taken, uh, taken control, I see steps forward. I see them trying to get better. Here, I'll give, you, I'll give you a little taste of something that I saw last night that I was impressed by. Let's see if you get it, Dave. I'll give you a, 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 I'll give you a little hint. What was different about TNA's matches last night than AEW's matches or a lot of WWE's matches? Uh, I'll give you another hint. What didn't they do in most of those matches last night? As a matter of fact, I don't know if they did it at all. And if they the did, ring? I... Yeah, ding, ding, ding. Circle gets the square. I don't know if they have room to go outside the ring, by the way, but they didn't go outside the ring. It doesn't even matter. Everything stayed in the ring because there's no good reason to go outside of the ring unless going outside of the ring is part of the story that you want to tell or you're having a street fight or blah, 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 whatever. They kept the action in the ring, and I really liked that aspect of the show. Um. The best kept secret. I'll go on record to say that some of, if not a lot of the highlights of my career happened in a company that a lot of people don't remember. Some of my favorite work, I'll even go on to say, call, I'll be introspective and call it my best work happened in TNA. Kurt Angle's yes. best work happened in TNA. Gail Kim's best work happened in TNA. A lot of well-known talents, best stuff happened in that company, but that company gets lost in the shuffle for some reason. And I think it's because of the bad taste that was left in fans' mouths by that by management. You know as well as anybody else that when TNA was hitting on all cylinders, it was a much more fun company to watch in the WWE. Yes, oh, no? without question. I remember talking to you 10 years ago, Bully. Uh, I, I said that I thought TNA was a much better product than the WWE. And I, and I stand by that because it's absolutely true when you look at the talent that was on that roster and the quality of matches that were happening in the ring. And, and TNA uh, overseas used to crushed the WWE when it came to television ratings, like in countries like England and Germany, TNA did really well. But at the end of the day, they did not, you know, win the game or beat the WWE. There were a lot of bad decisions that, that were made by the company, but bad decisions can be made in any business. So today we're here to talk about what happened last night. And I'm 
Serious, Dave, I'd, I'd love to hear from our fan base. Do, do you want to go on the record and say what you thought about the show right off the I, bat? I do, and, and we're, we got to take a break, and I, I'm going to tell you what I thought about the show. We definitely are going to open up the phone lines, but one last thing I want to say, because when you mentioned TNA, you talked about some of the bad executive and management decisions, and some of those you know, a lot of the fans know about and understand about now all these years later, and I agree with you. There were. But I will say this, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is we're experiencing it now when it comes to Wednesday nights with NXT and AEW. There were people at that time, Bully, that just would not embrace TNA. There were people that, like, I would talk to. I'm talking back when our our show first started, 2009, 2010. We would talk. I would talk to fans, and I would, you know, I would glowingly talk about TNA and how much I liked it. And then fans would call in, "Ah, oh, TNA sucks." I go, "Why? What, what did you, What did you not like about last night's show? Well, I didn't watch last night's show. So then, how can you call in and tell me that that show sucked when you didn't even watch it? There was like this dark cloud that hung above TNA for whatever reason. You know, there were fans like these WWE diehards. Case in point, some of the WWE diehards that we talk to now when it comes to AEW that just would not give TNA a chance. And and listen, right or wrong, they got hit with that term WWE light. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that they had a lot of, you know, former WWE superstars on their roster. But my God, go back and look at their roster from nine or ten years ago and tell me some of those wrestlers that you're that you are not that you're seeing right now in the WWE. Samoa Joe, AJ Styles, uh Bobby Roode. I mean I mean they had a lot of like A listers now in that company back then in TNA. They had a lot of young talent that I, I believe bully there was a lot of pro wrestling fans just did not give that show a chance. TNA had balance in their locker room balance of veterans up and coming homegrown stars women who i will always go on record with and defend for starting the whole women's evolution in pro wrestling not the narrative that uh has been put out there by the wwe in the past five years um the x division with the high flyers Uh, you name it you could find it there um it was it was a fun company now and here's another thing dave when you compare apples to apples let's take uh, uh aew nxt tna because those companies are probably about the same size on par with each other tna being on spike tv which was i'd say a little below the usa network in the cable you know how many homes get usa as compared to back then got spike tv tna when it was hitting on all cylinders was doing two million viewers a week i don't care about all this well people watch you know the shows differently now and it's a different time in this you can come up with any excuse and any narrative in wrestling that you want at any given time because it's a world of sports entertainment and we can it's kind of like politics You ever see in politics how one point can be discussed and uh, one side has a completely opposite opinion than the other side? And you're saying, man, how could how could two sides see each one point completely differently? Same thing in wrestling. You could you could take a, a side headlock and you could come up with a reason why you liked it. And I can come up with a reason why I hated it because it's pro wrestling. Yeah. Two million viewers a week. 
Why were they doing 2 million viewers a week? It was a good quality show that people like to watch. I mean, I... And it was an alternative to the WWE, which now, w- which is in, what we're getting right now. In turn, but, WWE was doing monster numbers at that point, too. Like, but, but, you know, and, and I understand what you're saying about the viewership. And, and here's the other thing, too, that people don't realize. Like, before Busted Open, I never watched TNA the night that it was on. I always watched it on Saturday mornings. I would watch it Saturday mornings. That's when I, I was programmed to watch wrestling at that time in my life. I was watching it on a Saturday morning because they had repeats of it throughout the week, Bully. So, and and they that those shows got good viewership as well. It's, it, it, again, like... It's hard to get into the numbers because people are going to say, well, streaming and YouTube and all that. But again, when I look at the ratings, I look at the ratings, not so much about the the mass amount of people that are watching, but the people that feel like I have to watch this in the moment. You know, like I, I, I'm not going to DVR it. I'm not going to watch it on YouTube the next day or the next morning. I need to watch this product in the moment. I need to watch it now. Necessity TV and somehow, some way, along the road, people have gotten away from having to watch pro wrestling in the moment. Bully, that's that that's crazy to me because with so especially now with social media, I would feel more people would want to watch it in the moment to make sure they don't miss anything. Hey everyone, this is former NFL linebacker and current SiriusXM NFL radio host Kirk Morrison, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, Total Coverage. Each week, I'll be joined by some of the greatest minds in the game as we explore the hows and the whys behind the week's biggest results. Whether we're breaking down player techniques, game plans, or coaching philosophies, we'll explain the details that define our favorite performances. New episodes will be available every Tuesday on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, and Apple Podcasts. You know who's always going to get us back on track, Bully? And somebody who I know, he's been a long-time listener to this show, and I also know... Uh, that he was a TNA fan as well. And that's our good friend, Reggae Dad, joins us here on Busted Open. What's going on, Reggae Dad? Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. What a guan. Let's steer it back on track, man. You know, Dave, I don't know if you remember this a a few years ago when Jarrett started Global Force Wrestling. And I called in and I said, you know, what would be great is if Jarrett could get you know, he was already sort of working with New Japan. I was thinking if he got some New Japan and some ROH and some TNA and got the whole thing somehow together, and it could be this territory system 2.0, and he'd have the talent and the resources, you know, to give WWE a little bit of a run for their money. Well, that didn't materialize. But what I've seen over the last week has just got me buzzing. And, I, you know, what they, what they did on Wednesday worked. You know, I, I I was all over Impact Wrestling last night. You know, you, you, you look at the you look at just Impact by itself. They've got such great talent. Their vignettes are tremendous. You know, Scott D'Amore is extremely entertaining. I found a lot to like just with with Impact itself. And of course, I'm a huge Good Brothers fan. But you know what? To to think of the possibilities. You know, Tony Khan sort of ran into a little bit of an issue with AEW. He snatched up every available top-tier independent talent and plus Cody and the Bucks and those guys, but they kind of hit sort of a wall 
where WWE's plan of signing everybody up took all the talent off the table. So this is a way around that. You got all these relationships with Callis being at, at, at New Japan and Kenny Omega being with AEW. You, 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 all these things are sort of just coming together and gelling up at the right time. I, I, you know, I, I, I'm so stoked to see how they can sort of weave all this, this together. And don't forget NWA as well. A lot of my favorite people are dispersed amongst all these different companies. If you can pull that together and somehow get a working relationship going with, with, with all these different companies, man, I, I've got to I've got to block off more time in the day. We need we need to add an extra couple hours to every single day at this point. Well, reggae dad, a couple of things because this is a very good phone call. One, before we get into the possibilities out there in the world of pro wrestling, let's just go back and focus on what we saw last night. What did you think of the show? Like, what did you think of Impact Wrestling? Like, did they do enough for you in those two hours where you're like, you know what? All this stuff with Kenny Omega and Don Callis, I'm definitely interested in it. But you know what? The wrestling that I saw last night is going to make me want to tune in every Tuesday. Well, it just, it just, you know, I, I, I think I, I, I looked at Impact right when the Good Brothers signed up. I, I have a little bit of an issue with, with going backwards to no crowd. I wish, I, I don't know what the, this, the issue is there with, them being the only ones that, that can't do anything in front of a crowd. I, I, I think that's in Tennessee somewhere. You would think that they would be sort of open to open for business kind of, but uh, it just reminds you how many, I mean, Sammy Callahan, then you turn your head and, Oh my God, there's moose. And then, you know, uh, you know, the, the motor city machine guns who I always loved and all their matches, you know, back in that, you know, that, that uh, full metal mayhem against bully, you know, back in the day, I mean, those were incredible matches. So you, it just reminded me, wow, you know, they have a lot of great talent. They're really exceptional at their backstage vignettes. They really don't seem, mm. you know, too over-rehearsed or overproduced. Like I said, Scott Diamore as a character, I never realized how entertaining that guy is until the last couple of weeks with the full keg special with the Good Brothers. And last night he he turned up on the show a couple of times. He's a guy that I want to see now, and uh, and I'll, I'll be honest with you. And this might not be a popular opinion. I wasn't, you know, I, I I like Kenny Omega. His matches are sensational, but the actual character of Kenny Omega just was never like my favorite. You know what I mean? But I the ending of that the ending of that show last night. He showed me like another level of where he could go that I was, I was, I was laughing. I was just excited and the play between him and Don Callis, you know, so I, it actually upped, upped my ante on, on being a fan of Kenny Omega as well. Hi, this is Adam Shine. The Adam Shine Podcast is back for another football season. I'll give you my passionate, hard-hitting takes every week, including picks against the spread and fantasy football advice, all while talking to the biggest guests in all the sports, celebrities, media personalities, diehard football fans on a weekly basis. It's the Adam Shine Podcast with new episodes dropping on Tuesdays. You can listen to the podcast anytime with the SiriusXM app, iTunes, Pandora, and with Stitcher. You know, no crowd noise, no crowd at all for Impact Wrestling. Bully, does that 
hurt what they're doing, especially what we saw last night. In my opinion, it hurts a little bit because during this whole COVID uh, time since uh, March or April when no, no fans were let back into the arenas, WWE and AEW did whatever they possibly could to present an atmosphere and a vibe to their show. AEW was out ahead of everybody else by having the wrestlers at ringside. Just having the wrestlers at ringside provided enough noise where you thought something was going on. You had the wrestlers had something to react to and fans watching had home had something to feed off of there was a response to an arm drag there was a a cheer for a baby face and a boo for a heel so then what did the wwe do because the wwe had to keep up with the joneses and the joneses were aew at that time wwe creates the thunderdome this huge production of all these video screens and people sitting at home and all their faces and piped in crowd noise so it adds to the wwe experience i kind of like the aew experience better because now we're getting a thousand people reacting and i'll take a thousand people reacting to what's going on in the ring over piped in crowd noise any day of the week but still the piped in crowd noise gets the job done now you watch impact last night and you hear a pin drop you hear nothing and in hearing nothing you feel like you're all the way back in day one when this whole covid thing hit where there's no noise and it's so weird and people are like, ah, I can't even watch because there's no fans there. I think Impact has to do something to try to keep up with the Joneses. I don't know what that is. I don't know what their policies are there when it comes to allowing people into the arena or what the arena's policies are or the city or the state's policies are. It could have to do with COVID. I don't know. But yes, I do think it takes away a little bit from the product and all also, it focuses you on the announcing. And last night on social media, I saw a lot of people that weren't enthralled with the announce team. How did you, what did you feel about the announce team last night? I, I and, and maybe it's because I'm a weekly viewer. Um, I thought Josh Matthews and Madison Rain did an outstanding job last night because you said it, there is no crowd noise. So they have to cover that up. So they do a good job of really being explicit with their with their speech, you know, define things, you know, di uh, dissect. I thought they did a fantastic job with that because they got to really fill it up because you can't have any space because there's no crowd noise. That's number one. So I saw a lot of negative tweets about, boy, they talk a lot. Well, they kind of have to because you can't leave gaps in there with the lack of sound and the lack of environment. Also, I thought for that show last night, they did a tremendous job as well. Why? Because they knew there was a lot of first-time viewers. So they were very descriptive when it came to certain personalities and certain characters and explaining storylines that were taking place. So if you're a first-time viewer, you know exactly what's going on by the descriptions that they gave. I think hearing their voices so much there a lot of people said uh maybe if they would have had somebody else there i'm not sure what it was i do agree with you the information that was given helped tell stories about the talent uh i think josh and madison gave us enough especially for people who never tuned in before to explain who was in the ring what their purpose was what they were trying to accomplish maybe 
it's the tone of their voices that people didn't necessarily like. I'm not sure, but I saw enough of it on social media to bring it up today where I go, maybe people weren't enthralled with announcing and maybe some if you know, people that call in can let us know what they thought about the announce. However, I really liked Josh in the bus. I think I liked Josh better as an interviewer than a guy behind the announce table. That's just my own personal opinion on uh josh and his talents uh like the backstage stuff like the stuff uh i think he's really good at those sit downs i think he did a great job of you know kind of not cowering to don Callis, but making himself the foil you know the guy the the guy who was just didn't know any better like kenny and donna like come on man can't you see this what are you blind this plan has been going on forever so I, I thought he I thought he did a good job there. I, I tell you one of the things in in the bus that I did not like. Obviously, Don Callis wanted to get a zinger in on the WWE. Fans like zingers because they get to go, oh, I can't believe he said that. Getting a zinger in is one thing. Getting the same zinger in two times because you're feeding your own ego is completely unnecessary. So he told Josh to go back to Stamford, you stooge. The WWE headquarters in Stamford, Connecticut, stooge in wrestling basically means you're a rat, you're, you're, a, you're a spy, you're an infiltrator. Callis hits it at the beginning of the promo, and then he hits it at the end of the promo. Too much. Hit it one time. Hit it at the end of the promo. Because after everything that Don and Kenny did, which worked, to hear Don, to hear Kenny go, you know what? I actually kind of like that guy. And then Callis goes, nah, he's a stooge in Stanford. <laughs> now you're like, oh, it would have been the perfect last thing to say. But you already said it earlier on because you felt the need to get your shit in. A little too much right there, but I get what they were trying to I do. I think there is actually three because I think he alluded to it even in the middle and the body of what was going oh, on. Oh, I must admit, well. that, that makes yeah, it even and, worse. And, and you know, I, I agree. I don't think you need it at all, honestly, because that's not what it's about. You want to get the one zinger in because you're right. Fans love to go, ooh, you know, one time's enough and then move on. And you don't really, it's not necessary. And I don't feel like they have to do it again. Two other things that Reggae Dad brought up that I want to hit on as well before we go back to the phones. One is uh, the talent, and he's, he, he loves the talent. He mentioned the Good Brothers a lot. He's a big fan of those. But top to bottom, there is a lot of top-quality wrestling talent on this roster. So, you know, they have people that are some familiar, from familiar names and faces, but they did a good job of mixing in probably a lot of wrestlers that fans had never seen before if they didn't watch Impact Wrestling. And you know what? I thought they did a good balance of showing that last night. Lastly, he mentioned the backstage interviews and the backstage vignettes. Uh, hey, listen, this is not hating on WWE. But to me, what I saw in backstage last night on Impact is worlds better than what we see on a Monday Night Raw. Um, you know, it doesn't feel as scripted. It feels more natural. There's more chemistry between the wrestlers and the interviewer, it feels like, in the backstage with Impact Wrestling. Tommy Dreamer did a great job. He mentioned Scott Demore. I thought he did a wonderful job, especially in that segment with Tommy last night. The backstage stuff last night definitely hit the mark. 
the backstage stuff always has come across better in TNA and Impact Wrestling because it's bullet points. There were never scripts, and if there were scripts, it was only for people that really couldn't do promos without a script. I'll tell you one person who always needed a script, Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle always knocked it out of the park with his promos, right? Yep. I thought pro whether Kurt was being humorous or he was being serious, Kurt always did a good job on the microphone. 1,000% scripted. Kurt needed those words written down for him. But for the most part, TNA Impact Wrestling has always been a bullet point place. They're kind of taking a lot of the stuff that you do that you see in AEW with the quote-unquote risks that take place where you know, let, letting wrestlers be themselves has been going on in TNA and Impact for a long time. That's why it was such a fun place to work. That's why you will hear the talent tell you, despite management, and ownership at sometimes being horrendous the company was still a great place to work because you had that creative freedom not a hundred percent but enough to you know to to tell your stories broken matt hardy look at the freedom uh i'll just i'll bully ray look at the freedom those are two characters that were basically told go do it whatever you want to do if you can get it over great if not we'll just you know we'll just can it lots of things have worked there um we talked yesterday and this goes back to reggae dad's call about something that i thought that kenny would probably try to do and he talked about cleaning up the belts Kenny talk, compared uh, the the championships to comic books. I thought that was very smart because that AEW fan base, that Impact Wrestling fan base, I think they are comic book type uh, uh, fans. And Don Callis going, I love comic books. Now people are going home. I love comic books too. It's relatable. You're bringing in your audience in a very subliminal way. Kenny talked about uh, Spider-Man and, and Superman 1. Oh, I would love to have those comic books. Now he says, I want to get this belt, this, this championship, this championship. We talked about the great Muda. During great Muda's, one of, one of his greatest runs, he cleaned up in Japan and basically had every championship there, there, there was out there. If you go on social media, if you go on you know, Google or whatever, you can find pictures of the great Muda with like seven different belts strapped around him. And you brought up the Hardys uh, about, you know, doing it. Um, I, I, I think the Hardys may have had two uh, sets of championships, maybe three at one time. Um, Muda had like six or seven different championships at one time. And I think that's where we're going to see with Kenny moving forward. Hey, everybody, this is Fran Freshella, host of the podcast World of Basketball. The game of basketball has truly become a global game. Markovic fires it into Mickey. Somehow it goes in. Each week, I talk with the players, coaches, and executives who have led the way in growing the game of basketball around the world. Real Madrid have stolen victory from the jaws of defeat. Episode Episodes are available every Thursday on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, and Apple Podcasts. I think I enjoyed Tony and Tony better than Don and Kenny. Wow. I, I Listen, you may be right. A 1A, 1B. That, that's how much I like both those segments. Tony Khan, like it's so funny because my wife has heard a lot about Tony Khan. 
You know, because we've obviously she, you know, how could she not? Because that's all I talk about. When she saw Tony Khan on her on the TV, she's like, that's Tony Khan. Do you look, you know, because he when you see him, he he's a young dude, man, like which is a great thing because this is, you know, if he's in this for the long haul and it seems that he is, this is going to be decades and decades and decades of Tony Khan at the helm, bully. You ready for the subliminal drawing in of the fan base? Let's talk about stature in ownership. What does Tony Khan look like? He looks like Say a fan. what again? I dare you. I double dog dare you. <laughs> what does Tony Khan look like? He looks like a fan. You know why he looks like a fan? Because he is a fan. And was a fan. Yeah. He's a smaller dude. He's not in a suit. And he comes off like a guy that just loves pro wrestling. Yep. Who's the other figurehead we see all the time? It's Vince McMahon. In a three-piece suit, always carrying himself properly, speaking like this. Who are you going to be able to relate to? The 74-year-old man in the three-piece suit? Or the young kid who took a chance on himself and started a wrestling company because he was such a fan himself. We we brought this up, bully. You know, like when it came to the NFL draft, and this past NFL draft was completely different than any other draft that we've ever seen because of what's going on with COVID. And they started off with Roger Goodell. Roger Goodell was, you know, giving off the picks. And then the day one, people just criticized Roger Goodell. Why? He was wearing a three-piece suit. He was standing behind the desk. He came off way too stiff. The fans couldn't relate to Roger Goodell. What did they do night number two of the draft? He had on a T-shirt. He's, he's sitting on the desk instead of standing behind the desk. Like, and everybody loved it. Why? Because he kind of let his hair down a little bit, let his guard down a little bit. And he came off just like everybody else is like a guy that's going to sit on your couch and eat wings with you and drink a beer. That's what Tony Khan is somebody that now you realize because you heard the stories. Vince McMahon was with his dad. This is the family business. You know, he grew into it. Three-piece suit, tie, and all that stuff. Tony Khan didn't grow into the business. Tony Khan, like you said, Bully, was somebody who was paying for a ticket and in the stands rooting and booing and doing everything else that fans do in an arena. That's Tony Khan. Like you said, completely relatable to his fan base. And that right there will bring people in. He's likable. Vince, people get confused when it comes to Vince McMahon, especially because of the character he portrayed on TV, which is, you know, one of the greatest heels, if not the greatest heel of all time, because that heel is the one that got stone cold babyface Steve Austin over. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I thought the Tony and Tony interaction was great. The zinger. You see how Tony, you see how Tony Schiavone said his zinger as opposed to the way Don Callis said his zinger? Don Callis, it was such a pro wrestling zinger. Like, yeah, you're Stanford stooge. And Tony Khan was like, yeah, I spent a day here and then I quit the business for 18 years. It was so dry that I popped so big, you know, and he's just he's stoic and dry. And it's just like, oh, that that was hysterical. Um, I asked you a question before we went to break about whether or not Impact uh, did enough within the body of their show to have people 
<clears throat> tune in again, despite the fact that Kenny might not be there. Uh, to the Twitter machine, Ted Rosenberry chimed, chimed in. He goes, impacted enough to get me to tune in next week. I liked Saban against Alexander. <clears throat> I became an instant fan of Rosemary. I'm intrigued by Rich Swan and Chris Bay, and the talent in Impact is just mouthwatering. Wow. I mean, I, I thought they did a good job with the tag matches, too, to get as much talent on there as possible. You know, you have Ty, you have Ty and Rosemary. They're, they're a team to begin with. There's a friendship there. But, like, you look at Rosemary's entrance. They did a great job explaining that, too. I, I, I Again, I thought, you know, Josh Matthews and Madison Rain did a really good job. And I thought they did a good job with Rich Swan too. There's Rich Swan. He's your he's your impact, you know, world champion. He he can't even go into the parking lot at the end of his match because he's not on the guest list because Don Callis and Kenny Omega shut down the entire parking lot. And that's a little tease there. Already Rich Swan's the underdog. He's the guy that's forgotten about. But yet he's the guy that's the champion in this organization. I thought that was really good. And again, you talked about style clashes and you talked about, you know, the certain styles that Kenny's going to have to face if he goes on to these different companies. I'm intrigued by a Kenny Omega Rich Swan match in the future, Bully. Uh, they would have to, because of the athleticism in the ring, I understand that, why you would be intrigued. I'd have to see a little bit more depth and personality. I like what I saw from Kenny last night. I think it was a step forward uh, for him. And I know a lot of people are going to say, oh, no, it's just the cleaner from New Japan. Yeah, I get it. But for American fans who might not be familiar with that version of Kenny, he's starting to show that side, that egotistical side, that I'm better than you side, which you're not used to seeing from him. So hopefully they continue with it and it keeps up. The hard thing is going to be this. It's going to be hard to hate egomaniac Kenny once you see what Kenny does in the ring. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. But, you know, on the other hand, like, again, taking advantage of the situation, they they had a couple of really good vignettes on Rich Swan talking about his story, his comeback, you know, his injury and being able to do that. I I, I can't say enough about impact, you know, take making the best of that opportunity. This was this was definitely, I think, their best show of the year. Another little thing that stood out to me on the bus. Want to see if you agree or disagree. What did you think of the positioning of the three guys on the couch? As far as Don Callis sitting in the middle and and Kenny Omega to the far left, I, why I, Don I Callis asked, in the middle? Well, I, I I I didn't have a problem with it since Don Callis was doing most of the talking, and he probably wanted space between the champion and the person who's doing the interview. I kind of would have liked to have seen Kenny in the center of the shot. Don was also looking into the camera while when Josh was asking the questions. I would have much preferred to be a little bit of fly on the wall here and not looking down the barrel of the camera. I would have liked to have seen Don talking to Josh and we're picking it all up as Kenny is just sitting there slumped, staring into the barrel of the camera. Kenny's the star. He should be the one sitting directly behind his championship belt. I think they could have did a little better job with placement. Uh, Don in the middle, he became a big focal point of that shot. Now, if Don is going to be this major focal point moving forward, 
okay, maybe. Last night, I would have liked to have seen Kenny in the middle. Just a little thing that I thought they could have done, put a little bit more thought into. Hey, everyone. This is Lisa Ann, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, The Lisa Ann Experience. This is my chance to share with you my experiences, past and present, including how I went from living in the fantasy world of adult films to talking fantasy sports on Sirius XM. Each week, I'll introduce you to some of the people I've met on my journey and invite friends on to help me read through the endless ridiculousness that lands in my inbox. New episodes are available every Wednesday on the Sirius XM app and Apple Podcasts. We are now headed to the semifinals of the 2020 Opera Cup and somebody who had a huge win last week and a big match tonight on MLW is our guest right now. And that is low key, sir. How are you this morning, gentlemen? Good morning. Thank you for having me again. And and I appreciate it because the last time you were on, you made some news, so you created mm-hmm. a buzz. And it seems like once again with this Opera Cup, you're creating a buzz once more. Yes, yes. This year's Opera Cup is loaded and ready to roll with the highest uh, competitive spirit you're going to find around. And uh, as you said. A big one last week with uh, Davey Boy Smith Jr. This is a world-class heavyweight. I don't think many people give him the credit that he deserves as a student of the craft. And to overcome a big challenge like him, I spend time in and out of the ring with him in training. That's that's very, very difficult, especially at my size. Loki, when it comes to size, do you find that you have better chemistry with guys the size of Davy Boy Smith Jr. or guys that are your size? Um, I think it's a mixture of not necessarily the, the, the bigger bodies, but the people who train beyond wrestling, beyond pro wrestling. It's uh Harry, Davy Boy is uh, or Harry is uh, a catch wrestler. So his his toolbox for, for grappling is actually extensive. We were together in Gracie Fighter Tampa for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So his grappling uh, uh, knowledge is, is extensive, and he's continued to do it throughout his career while maintaining his pro wrestling career. So that's usually who I have better chemistry with. It's not necessarily the bigger or the smaller guys. It's the guys who actually cross-train and train in other disciplines. Uh, you mentioned chemistry in the ring. Probably another C word best describes your opponent tonight in the Opera Cup. And uh, I'll keep it clean and say character, but uh, he's a different type <laughs> of character in Richard yes. Holiday. Uh, what can we expect in that in that match tonight with you two? Well, I would think, uh, just for practicality purposes, Richard Holiday has been on the rise for, what, the past two years, mm-hmm. uh, aligning himself with the dynasty MJF Hammerstone um, he, he's been on a, on a rise within MLW for two years. He's done very well for himself, but it kind of falls in line with kind of where we're from. He's a New Yorker. He has that attitude, that pompous attitude that, hey, I'm going to do this no matter what. So, I mean, for him to be in Major League Wrestling, to have the success that he has had in Major League Wrestling, for him to enter into the Opera Cup and for him to match up against anyone, not even just me, He has to believe in himself, and I think he kind of displays that rather well every time you see him. Key, you've wrestled all over the world. At this uh, point of your career, is MLW a perfect fit for you and your style? I think for the moment, yes. And the reason being is because the conversation that was had before the relaunch in 2018, 
it was uh, a conversation of direction because we were trying to figure out how to relaunch while standing apart from everyone. And the conversation became a melding of world-class championship wrestling and pride, pride fighting championships. And the reason it was, it came to that is because the history and the lineage of all the elements associated with major league wrestling lend favor to both categories. And I told court in order for MLW to stand apart from everyone else on the planet, we got to turn this thing into the Olympics. We have to have the best guys from each individual country and have them go at it. That's the only way we're going to surpass all the nonsense that we see from everywhere else, all the nonsense that we see that is getting pushed on television. That's the only way. Why? Because it goes back to tradition, it goes back to sport, and it's easy to follow. You know, Bully and I were talking before you joined us about just all the different shows right now that are going on and how they're able to present their product during this COVID era. And I think that MLW has kind of tackled it in a bit of a different way. There are no fans in attendance, but when you watch it with the way the production is, the tight shots, the the smoky feel to the arena, I mean, how do you think MLW has been able to present this show so far? Well, I think they've done a good job. They've been they've tried to be sensitive to to differentiating their product as far as presentationally, and that's the way to keep it. We have to be different from everyone else because it's an oversaturated environment with a lot of people. So we have to make sure that the moment we are seen, we're, we're exuding value no matter what. And speaking with court, speaking with production, speaking with the runners, speaking with the staff, speaking with everybody, it's a well-oiled machine, but there's a lot of elements and moving parts, but everyone has a, a good idea as far as where we want to go. So I think that's a big part of it and uh, differentiating from everyone else is we have a very solid team effort when we're doing this. Um, Wednesday nights now is must-see pro wrestling night. We have uh, your show at 7. Do you like being a part of the Wednesday night lineup, or would you have preferred to be on a different night? Well, it doesn't bother me one bit. Competition is good, especially with some of the other companies. I know a lot of the, the members of some of those other companies, so it's 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 healthy especially for for fans especially right now you know there's a there's a lull in activity only because of restrictions in certain areas some places have them some places don't some people want to enforce some people don't so it's just trying to figure out and navigate this chaos and try to operate and still be you i think having that uh that slot on wednesday is a good uh brief intro associated with a crossover audience but I think uh, over time, everyone branches off depending on their quality anyway. So for now, it's okay. You know, MLW has that hybrid style. They have every type of style in pro wrestling on the show, which I think, you know, makes the MLW show stand out. MLW Fusion again Mm -hmm. tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern time on YouTube and and, uh, Fubo Sports. Um, But it's all about talent. And I think there's a, a lot of talent on this roster. You mentioned yeah. world-class championship wrestling. We all know Corp Bauer is a disciple of Gary Hart, and so you have mm-hmm. that feel of world-class championship wrestling. How do you feel uh, Ross and Marshall Von Erich have been able to develop recently? Uh, I've known them since they were young boys in Japan. So I've been, I've been fortunate to see them develop as young men. I've been fortunate to see them develop as young wrestlers into the men they are today. 
um, they've adapted to to uh, major league wrestling rather well. They've got they've gotten good uh, guidance from their father. I mean, it, it's it's all positivity coming from those boys. And the thing is, they're still young. That's the best part. They're yeah. they're not even. I don't even think either one of them are thirty yet. So. If that's the case, I mean, geez, you got plenty of time if they stay healthy. You got plenty of time if they they stay creative. I mean, you, you got miles with them um, from this point forward if they if all those things fall into place. So, I think for them to be in Major League Wrestling, it's it's a good ground for them to to grow from. And I think the time that they've spent, they've done rather well. Key during this uh, COVID era of trying to move forward in pro wrestling. Uh, other than the great shows that MLW puts on and the uh, the athleticism and the performances in the ring, what do you think MLW could do right now immediately to get more eyes on their product? Hmm, that's a good question. Because in an oversaturated environment, you got to make sure you do something that differentiates yourself from everyone else. And when everyone sees something new, what do they do? They copy it. So one thing I've noticed is the the graphics on screen for some of these shows, they're starting to look similar because it looks like they're all copying UFC's presentational graphics. So you can see that they're trying to adapt fight stuff, which is just a natural evolution anyway, just because of the popularity of MMA. But you can add all those elements, but if the guys can't fight, there's a problem. So the emphasis that we have in Major League Wrestling, of course, is highest quality sport wrestling. That's what we want. But to differentiate from everyone else, we have to have, one, I think, more color. And I'm not talking about skin color. I'm talking about gear color. There's too many people wrestling in black. because they, And I learned this from when I worked with the video game companies doing voiceover and motion capture, which was you don't want your character, the playable character that you select, you don't want them to blend into the background. That's a, that's a gaming issue because it doesn't differentiate the player from the background. That's a big part of what we do as well. It's presentational. We've got to make sure that we stand out for the activity that's going on screen so the crowd or the audience can follow. These are technical issues no one really discusses without experience. But stuff like that is important. So to differentiate MLW and everyone else, one, I would start off with some color. The, the setting, the environments that we wrestle shows in is nice, but the wrestlers themselves, while they're in the ring, there's just so much black now. It's just, it's too much. Everyone should have particular color schemes to identify themselves differently than everyone else. I mean, even with Bubba, Bubba with the, the Dudleys doing the, the camouflage gear, how many people were wearing camouflage gear? Everybody was copying them. So, you know, Gear is an important thing. I think for, for starters, color. We need more color out of the wrestlers because it's just there's too much of them blending into the darker backgrounds. AEW is similar to that, too, because they have the grayish, dark uh, dark backgrounds. Um, so color schemes are one thing. Another thing, attitude. Our guys, without having a crowd, you can see their natural attitudes. Another thing is people are accustomed to working with a crowd and then when the crowd is gone, now you see their insecurities. You see their vulnerabilities. I don't I don't want that for my guys. So I tell my guys straight up, you're going in for the kill. You guys got to go in there and go at it. I don't want to see any of this pussy shit. So 
that's what we're going after. And I think because of that, you're seeing every individual step up for themselves. It's not us micromanaging and, and burying them psychologically. We want them motivated and we want them producing. When you say your guys, do you mean your fellow wrestlers or are you in a um, a senior role there as maybe an agent or a producer helping others with their in-ring abilities? All of that. It's my locker room. So I got to make sure all of my people are producing. I got to make sure that they're in the right mindset. I got to make sure that they're not having anything, anything as far as uh, – unforeseen obstacles that can be avoided. But I'm there, I'm running that thing to make sure all of my people are producing. So when I say my guys, I'm talking about all of my people. I'm talking about the guys, the girls, the staff, my camera guys, my production people from the network. I'm making sure that shit is getting done. And that's the reason why we're producing so well because no one's sitting there playing games. Nobody's sitting there on their phone, wasting time on Twitter, everybody is active, everybody is working. And the thing is, no one is micromanaging. That's the best part. These people are producing at their own level. And because of that, they're, they're free to be creative. And because of that, you're seeing them grow more and more every chance they get. You know, you know Bully has brought this up before, and I want to get your take because you just kind of brought it up with the phone. Do you feel like a lot of younger wrestlers are too addicted to the phone, like to, uh, immediately after a match to find out what the fans thought of that match? Well, see, this is where he's touching upon something that no one really elaborates on. There's generational differences in the way people were raised. How can you expect them to follow suit in your behavior and your development if they have no concept of that in their own environment? They're walking in blind. So majority of the people, I'm born in 1979. So I'm probably me or the generation after me are the last two to play outside. So there's a lot of stuff as far as developing into young adults. There's a lot of stuff that's completely different in upbringing by the time they get to wrestling that we're, we're looking at completely different people. One is the way that they develop, the way that they learn is completely different. Two, their sensitivity. This is a mentally tough environment. And people are thinking that they can walk right in playing games. And unfortunately, the frustration from the older guys like me and Bubba is, is, is legit. Because we're frustrated that you got people saying they're interested in coming into this realm. They don't show respect for it by training well. They don't show respect for it by performing well. They don't show respect for it by uh, upholding themselves in that environment in a respectable manner. Why? Because a big part of it is immaturity. Some of them are just too young. Some of them don't have solid upbringing. Some of them don't even have accomplishment beyond showing up at a wrestling school or a wrestling ring. So they're trying to fill in those slots. They're filling in those spots for themselves. So they're going to do whatever they can to fill in that hole. The problem is a lot of them have been rewarded for that behavior. And now you have an oversaturated environment of people who've been rewarded for doing bad things or low competency and now people are sitting there scratching their heads wondering why things are the way that they are. So if you're going to change something, one, it has to start off with the education. Two, it has to change with the attitudes because this coddling of uh, participation trophy nonsense, this is what you're seeing on television. I got into it with, some, with a coach a couple of months ago. 
about somebody who was trying to pass off Lucha Libre on TV, and I told him, fire all of them, including the ref, because it looks sloppy. That's disrespect to the high-ranked Lucha Libre wrestlers. But this is what you're trying to push on television and say this is professional. No. There's a standard for professional wrestling. Unfortunately, it's been, uh, it's been absolved. You know, two of the points that you just made there, uh, I, I agree with vehemently, uh, especially when it comes to social media. And one of the things that I have said before on this show and I've put out there on my own Twitter, and this is to wrestlers, learn how to work your social media. Don't let your social media work you. And I think uh, that social media has worked entirely too many of the guys and gals into this false sense of security uh, to being more over than they truly are. Uh, the other point yes. that you made is about the upbringing. Uh, it all starts in wrestling schools, and we are inundated with bad wrestling schools run by people yes. who never did anything in the industry, who bought yes. a ring from high spots and rented a yes. warehouse, and their claim to fame is that they had a dark match on Raw in 2002, and all of a sudden yes. they're a qualified trainer. And it all, yes. and I've been saying this forever. It's all about wrestling schools because that's where you learn the discipline in the ring and outside of the ring. So on those two points, I definitely agree with you. Yes, thank you. But it, it's an important thing to recognize because if you don't recognize it, you're going to keep beating your head against the wall wondering why things aren't the way that they should be. You have to have an understanding as to why. And a majority of the time, it's the frustration of people that they can't get past. So they just sit there frustrated and suffer because of it. But the thing is, I've been around long enough to see the different generations of people training and entering, failing and leaving. I've seen enough of that. And I understand why it happens. Because I came up in the doghouse out of New York. We were not playing. And out of over 100 people in that doghouse, who remains? Me? Homicide. That's it. Everybody else filtered their ways out. Everybody else didn't take it as seriously as they should have. So out of a great opportunity in, in an environment that didn't really have that type of opportunity, there's only two that remain and the two most influential ones. So why is that? We took it serious. We treated it with respect. On top of that, we haven't stopped learning. I talked to Homicide the other day. He was, he was studying. So this is the stuff that we do, but that's how we last. We care about our craft. We respect our craft even more so. We respect our craft to the point that we want to make sure we do it well to honor the people who came before us. You mentioned Gary Hart, that uh, court is a disciple. Me and Homicide were the last two that Gary managed. So we're part of his lineage wow. with Brody, with with uh, Abby, with Funk, Muda, JTEX. So this is the lineage that is possible but you have to show the respect for what you're doing. The majority of these people who are entering pro wrestling don't enter with respect. They enter with the fan eyes. They want to come in and play. You said it about the inundation of wrestling schools. It's true. What they're doing is they're not training them for professional wrestling. Most of these schools, there's no wrestling in the school to begin with. Most of these guys don't even know how to do anything on the mat. So, this is what I tell my students because I've been training people here and there, but I've been spending more time in Orlando. I tell them, what are you here for? This is your body. So why are you sitting here playing with it? But again, how can you expect them to behave differently if they've been constantly rewarded for doing dumb shit? 
So yeah, there I- has to be there has to be some type of stopping point to address the issue. Thanks for listening. Catch us Monday through Saturday on Busted Open from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM. Fight Nation, Channel 156. The Busted Open Podcast. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.